Hello and welcome to the um, second edition of the um, QMA Higher uh, PE podcast. Last time we spoke about the methods of data collection we use in the course. This time, myself and Mr Campbell... Hello. We're talking about the approaches that we use to develop performance. And of course, we're talking about all four different factors, physical, uh, emotional, mental and social. And we're going to start off with our physical approaches. And we're going to start that. Mr Campbell's going to give us a lovely description of um, a skills development programme. So if you've got a question asking you to describe um, an approach that you use to develop your physical performance, this could be your answer. So one session I used to develop physical factors in badminton was session two of my skills development programme for my overhead clear. I started off by writing an aim for the session at the top of the sheet. The aim was to develop technique of overhead clear while under little or no pressure. My session consisted of a warm-up, two practices and a condition game at the end. My first practice was a self-feed practice which was done individually. I started off by start standing at the back of the court with my racket in one hand and a shuttle in the other. I dropped the shuttle onto my racket and hit it up into the air, directly above my head. I then got my body into the correct position and performed the action and recovery phases of the shot. I did 8 reps, 3 sets and had a 45 second rest between each set. My second practice was a partner feed, which was completed in a pair. My partner would stand on the opposite side of the net for me and feed the shuttle high to the back of the court. I would then move into position using the correct actions from the preparation phase. I then focused on using the correct technique getting my back shoulder to drop, which was my weakest subroutine, and hit the shuttle back over the net. I did eight reps in three sets with a one minute rest in between each set. Once I had completed these two practices, I did a conditioned game of half court singles, first to 21 points, with the condition being that my opponent and I had to use our weakest shot twice in a rally before being able to start attempting to win a point. Finally, once the game was finished, I got my sheet for session two and filled out my review of session. In this, I wrote how I felt physically during the session, specifically in relation to the overhead clear and my technique, focusing on my weakest sub-factor of dropping my shoulder, my back shoulder, both in practice and game. I wrote anything I felt worked particularly well and anything that I needed to change in the next session to continue to improve. I also wrote if I achieved my aim, so I knew if I could move on to the next session by making my drills more difficult or intense. So that's a really, really full answer that we've got there. Um, Mr. Campbell described lots of different things, and I think that's probably more than a four-mark answer, but we just wanted to give you that level of detail so that you can think of the different things that you put into your answers. And, of course, a description like that could apply to your conditioning programme as well. Instead of describing two of the practices in the conditioning game in a skills development programme, you could describe two of the practices in your conditioning game from your conditioning programme. Um, and a lot of the benefits and limitations for the skills development programme and the conditioning programme overlap as well. So we're going to go through some of these um, benefits and limitations. Would you like to give us the first one, Mr Campbell? Yeah, so the first benefit of the skills development programme or even the conditioning programme would be we can easily move back a stage if you're not comfortable. So if you feel that you're unable to perform this, uh, the shot correctly or the skill or the exercise correctly um, and you're not really achieving your goal, then you can move back to the previous stage. The next benefit would be there is a training diary which can be used to increase motivation. So obviously at the end of each session you're writing how you're getting on with your um, physical performance um, and you can use this by looking back to see the, the progress that you're making and this will increase your motivation to continue to train. Another benefit of the skills development programme is that you can work in other areas of your play alongside your weakest shot. So even though I was speaking about I'm working on 
um, lower my back shoulder more. I'm also working on the full shot of the red clear. I'm working on the action preparation and recovery phases at the same time. I'm also playing some games as well. Our fourth and final benefit that we're going to tell you, of course, there are a lot more than four benefits, but four ones we think would be quite easy for you to write about. The fourth one would be um, that it uses gradual build-up. So you're never moving on too fast. You're never finding a practice which is too difficult for you, which means that you often find success. You only move on from a practice once you find success, and this will keep you motivated throughout your training. This brings us on to our limitation. So do you want to go for the first one, Mr. Campbell? So the first limitation is that you need to know how to perform the practice properly in order to improve. If you're not using the correct technique or you're not um, working well with your partner, your partner's not feeding to it correctly, you're not going to improve. So the second limitation kind of builds upon what Mr. Campbell said, but it's about, it's about knowing the correct technique to stop bad habits. If I think about my dig pass, I've got a poor technique where I cut underneath when I dig the ball. Now, this gets me short-term success, but it's actually incorrect technique. To achieve long-term success, I would need to stop that. I would need to stop this bad habit. But if I don't have an understanding of the correct technique, then I'm unable to stop bad habits developing. Another limitation of the skills development programme is that it can be quite intense, and this means that you have to stay motivated throughout the six-week block. So three times a week for six weeks, you need to be constantly motivated and working to the best of your ability. And if not, you're not going to be able to make progress throughout your programme. This final limitation actually differs between the skill development programme and the conditioning programme. So the final limitation is that the focus could just purely be on the skill, and that's in the skills development programme. If the focus is purely on the skill, you're only developing that skill, um, and that means that you're not working on your fitness at all. So that is a limitation. However, in the conditioning programme, you could flip that on its head and say, because there's an emphasis on skill and as well as on fitness, because there's that split of your focus, you may not be focused enough solely on the skill to improve so that that's a limitation in two separate ways for those two different um conditioning program conditioning and skill development programs i think we should move on now to plyometrics which is the second approach that we've used to develop um, our physical performance yeah so the plyometric um, training program would be very similar and set up to the skills development program or the conditioning program um, you'd be choosing exercises with the plyometrics, you would choose maybe five or six exercises. However, when describing, you would really focus on one or two. So you might focus on squat jumps and you might focus on bounding. Um, you'd go into great detail about each of these exercises in order to try and access marks. The first benefit that we can discuss for plyometrics is that it can be done without specialist equipment. So a lot of the exercises that Mr. Cabell has just mentioned, like the two he mentioned there, squat jumps and bounding, you don't have to have any equipment to carry these out. You don't have to be in a gym hall. You don't have to have any um, kind of expensive machinery. You can just carry out these exercises at home if need be. Another benefit of plyometrics is that there are lots of different exercises you can choose from. So for example, if you wanted to work on the power in your legs, there are a variety of different exercises you could um, do for that. If you wanted to work on your upper body power, then um, you could do that as well. So you would be in charge of researching the exercises that you would want to use and you had full control over what you did. Um, the next benefit would be that the movements mimic those which are used in the game. So within plyometrics there is a lot of jumping and a lot of throwing and jumping is something that is done within volleyball especially quite often. So if we were using plyometrics to develop our um, 
volleyball performance, having that same kind of movement is a is a definite benefit. Again, in plyometrics, there's a lot of throwing, and if you think about the action that your arm would make for a spike or a serve, it's a similar movement to a throw. So therefore, it is another benefit. The final benefit we're going to speak about for plyometrics is that it is completed at hundred percent intensity, so it is more game like. This means that you're increasing um, your fitness levels, you're going to be more likely to be able to react in a game um, and you're going to have the power in your legs. For example, if you're jumping up to spike the ball, you can get high above the net to hit the ball in a downward trajectory. And this leads on perfectly to our first limitation. So as Mr Campbell said, plyometrics has to be completed at 100% intensity. But completing anything at 100% intensity can lead to injury. And if injury occurs, this can set your training um, programme back and regression can occur and this stops you um, from moving forward with your performance. So very similarly, if you don't know how to perform the exercise correctly, then again, um, you can get yourself, you can get injured. So you need to know how to perform it correctly in order to not be injured. And the next limitation is, again, linking back to that 100% intensity. And if you're completing anything at 100% intensity, you're going to feel fatigue. Now, plyometrics should really be done over a 25-minute period, um, but even performing at 100% intensity for 25 minutes can be very tiring. And if you get towards the end of the session and you stop um, completing the exercises with the proper technique, um, this, this can um, lead to a lack of development in your performance. So similar to what Mr Oates said, it requires high self-motivation. Um, for you to work for tw that 25-minute period at 100% intensity um, it is very difficult. It can take a very strong mind, but if you can get through that mental block, then you'll make progress. Okay, we're going to move on to uh, our emotional approaches now. And the first emotional approach which we're going to look at is um, the positive outlook approach. Um, I think Mr Campbell has got a brief description with a few bullet points that you can remember um, which will allow you um, to answer a described question for the positive outlook approach. Positive outlook approach should be carried out before performance. So what you need to do is you'll have to find a quiet space when you, where you'll be uninterrupted. So you could do this maybe in the changing room or at the side of the court, at the side of the pitch, wherever you're performing. You're then going to reflect on previous performances. Okay? And what you're going to do, you're going to write down two things you believe you did well. You're going to run through it in your mind, um, what you did well, who was there, what impact did that have on your performance. And then you're going to write down what it felt like going through that successful part of your performance. Thank you, Mr Campbell. We'll have a look at the benefits and limitations now. So if the first benefit of the positive outlook approach is that there's a physical prompt to trigger your emotions. So if you think about um, the other approaches that we use for emotional or for mental, that's all going on in your head, but the positive outlook approach is slightly different. You have written down two things that you can look back on, which will trigger those positive emotions, put you in a positive frame of mind. And having that physical problem, that piece of paper saying those things can make this an approach a lot easier to carry out. Another benefit of the positive outlook approach is that writing it down brings greater focus. So it gives you an awareness of um, what you did well in your performance, and then you can draw on that again um, to be able to achieve the next uh, benefit is that having to think of past performances encourages the performer to be more reflective. So not only reflective of their emotional performance, but reflective um, of all four factors. And this will aid development, not just in the emotional factor, but in each of the factors. 
The final benefit of what the positive outlook approach is that can be done without specialised equipment. You could complete this anywhere on an old piece of paper. We obviously have a nice, fresh A4 sheet for you, <laughs> but it can be completed anywhere. And that means that um, you're more likely to make progress as you don't need to set things up, waste time setting things up. And you, as I said, you can do it wherever. The first limitation, I think, is really, really obvious. And it's the first thing that I thought of when I first heard about this approach. And it's not possible to leave the court um, during play to read these statements. If you think about any sport that you've played, if you just shouted to everybody, hang on a minute, I need to go across to read this bit of paper about my positive performance, nobody's going to be having that. The referee, the managers, the other players, nobody's going to have a wee break in play for you across to read these statements. So this approach can be difficult to carry out. Another limitation of the positive outlook approach is that you may find it difficult to create statements. So you may struggle um, to bring focus and to think about your emotions and think about your thoughts and feelings and write down things that would be meaningful to you and performance. The next limitation is about carrying it out again and how it can be difficult to carry it out because you need a quiet space to be able to reflect. And a quiet space is not always available in a sporting um, arena. There's the, there's the fans, as I said earlier, there's the players, there's the, the coaches, they're all shouting, they're all getting involved, they're grabbing your attention, it can be difficult to focus. The final limitation of the positive outlook approach is that if you use the approach, once you've lost control, it may be ineffective. So for example, um, if you're already got great amounts of fear, so the ball's been spiked again and again and again off you, um, then this approach may not be effective because you've already lost control of your emotions. Okay, I think we should move on to our um, next emotional approach right now, um, which is the five breath technique. So again, Mr Campbell has a lovely brief description for us. Okay, so the five breath technique can be performed while standing up, lying down or sitting upright. So the first thing you should do is slowly inhale deeply, evenly through your nose and then exhale gently through your mouth. Now when you're taking the, your deep breath in, you want to hold it for four seconds. You want to have your deep breath in for four seconds, hold it for two seconds, and then exhale for four seconds. When you're doing this, you want to be relaxing five different parts of your body. So in the first breath, you want to be relaxing your head, your neck, your shoulders. The second breath should be your arms, your hands, your fingers. And your third breath should be your trunk, so the main part of your body. Fourth breath, your legs, your feet, your ankles, and then the fifth breath should be full. Fifth breath should be full body relaxation. That can either be done in a quiet space, away from interruptions, or during a performance. Um, it can work with either, but it's more beneficial in a quiet space before performance, so that you can focus your mind. And something I say to my class quite often about the five breath technique is, it's a great question to describe on because. There's five breaths, and generally a discrete question will be four marks. So if you describe all five breaths, it's a really easy way to access all four of those marks. So the first benefit that we have for the five breath technique is a benefit that we've had um, for the positive outlook approach. It's going to be a benefit we have when we move on to our mental approaches for um, visualisation and positive self-talk. And that's that no equipment is required or no specialised equipment is required. So you don't have to have any equipment to carry this this technique, which means that it's accessible by everybody um, and this allows you to perform it anywhere, which brings Mr Campbell into his first benefit for the five breath technique. Yep, so the first benefit I've got is that it can be completed on court, can be done on court, so during your game in between points. It's quite a quick um, approach to use. So... Um, in between points in volleyball, you could quickly perform your five breaths before you take your serve in badminton. You could perform your five breaths to relax yourself. 
the next benefit is that the focus is on breathing and not on the factors which are making the performer lose control. So if you think about other other techniques, they require you, like the positive outlook approach, to, to focus on um, the game itself. And sometimes that can be a trigger for an athlete and they're not able to calm down because they're thinking about their performance. This removes that. This means that we don't have to think about performance at all. We focus on breathing and through this we improve performance. Final benefit of the five breath technique is that it um, lowers your heart rate and that means that you're going to be less anxious when you're about to take a shot or it's coming up to a certain type of performance. You're going to focus on performing the skills to a higher standard um, and you, you generally will perform better. This will also have a benefit towards the end of matches. If you've got a lower heart rate throughout your match, you should have more energy towards the end of it. So our limitations for the five breath technique, our first limitation, again, like the positive outlook approach, is that quiet space may not be quiet space may not be available. There's lots going on in sport arenas, as I said, and you need to be able to focus to perform the five breath technique. So another limitation is that it may not be possible. Um, there may not be a stoppage in place, so it's not possible to carry out the five breath technique. And this means that you may have high levels of anxiety um, and you might not be able to control it throughout the, the performance. Um, the next one kind of builds on what Mr Campbell said there. If there's not a stoppage, you can't complete the technique. But also, this technique only works if you complete the five breaths in full. If you only get to step two of the five breath technique, you're not completing it properly in this approach won't help with your emotional performance. So the final um, limitation to the five breath technique is the performer must focus on the technique for it to work and this might not be possible. There could be a lot of different things going on. There could be a crowd, there could be a teammates talking, there could be coaches trying to chat to you. So it's very difficult to hone in and just focus on those five breaths. You really need a quiet and interrupted space to be able um, to use it successfully. Okay, we're going to move on to our mental approaches now. But before I do that, I think it's really important um, that everyone remembers that you can cross these over. The emotional, um, the emotional approaches can work for the mental factor and the mental, fa- mental approaches can work for the emotional factor. So we've spoke through the positive outlook approach and the five breath technique there. But if you get a question on mental approaches, you're able to use um, those two approaches. Just like when we're about to talk about uh, mental for visualisation and positive self-talk, a question comes up in emotional and you feel more comfortable talking about um, visualisation and positive self-talk, then go for it. These can be used for either factor. So the first um, mental approach that we're going to speak about is visualisation. And once again, Mr Campbell has a brief description for us. Okay, so visualisation can be used before, during or after a match. It can be done at home, it can be done in the changing rooms or it can be done on court or the pitch. So what we would do is we would imagine ourselves in an, an environment performing using all our senses, so the sight, sound, feel and smell. Visualisation should be of successful performances and you feeling satisfied with your performance. So for example, in volleyball, um, I'm going to practice running up, spiking the ball using the correct technique and getting success from that. Now we would do this over and over and over again to train our mind and we would do it preferably before the match. So our first benefit of visualisation, just the exact same benefit that there was um, for the five breath technique and for the positive approach that no equipment is required. You're doing this all in your head. So this means that it's accessible by anybody. 
again another benefit we won't go into great detail but it can be done on court again which means that you can calm yourself down you can make better decisions um, as you can do it on court and the next benefit is that uh, your motivation is increased by remembering these past positive performances. And I know that's definitely true for me. If I think about uh, previous moments that have gone really well for me in a sport and I'm remembering those constantly while I'm visualising, this increases my motivation while I'm playing. Uh, the final benefit is that it can be repeated often. So, for example, if you really struggled with your serve but you'd visualise yourself um, serving over and over and over again and it was a positive performance, then you'd feel much more confident when you're about to serve so you can repeat that before every single serve. Okay, limitations. So the first limitation is one we've seen before as well. Quiet space may not be available. Um, another limitation is that it may not be possible for a stoppage in play. Um, Tell her you to perform the, the technique. Yeah, so it's the exact same as we had for the five breath technique. So the next one is um, you need to visualise something realistic. So if I think about myself playing football, um, it's not realistic that I'm going to score from the halfway line. So I don't want to waste my time visualising something like that. I want to think about something which is realistic, something that could possibly happen. If you end up visualising visualizing something that might not happen, you're wasting your time. Yeah, Mr Oates is a fox in the box. So he, <laughs> he would visualise himself and about the, the goal mouth area. So you need to visualise yourself something realistic, Mr Oates said. Something unexpected may occur that you did not visualise. So, for example, in volleyball, um, we'll just go back to the spiking technique. You might be constantly spiking and visualising yourself with a single blocker. And then in-game, they put a double block up and you don't know what to do. Um, and therefore, you're caught in a situation that you've never experienced before. And the visualisation hasn't helped you at all. So you don't have any confidence going into that and your shot could be blocked or you could put it out of the court. Brilliant. So our um, second approach to develop our mental performance is positive self-talk um, so here's Mr Campbell with a description so for positive self-talk again it can be used before during or after a match um, it can be done at home in the changing rooms or on the court slash pitch um, you, what, basically what we're going to do is we're going to say positive things to ourselves in our head um, or out loud to overcome negative thoughts now there's three parts of positive self-talk um, and we focus on the three R's so we need to recognise regroup and refocus so recognising where I'm going wrong, how it is happening and what I'm doing differently from before. So elite performers may ask questions such as uh, these when in times of difficulty and then once they've figured out their problem then they have to regroup. So they're going to fix their, their errors by um, having positive thoughts and previous performance, visualising better performance and using motivational phrases um, that helped before. So the third R is refocus. So they're going to calm down the situation, remember everything that they had done in, in, in training, they're going to clear their mind and they're going to be ready to achieve. Now just come back to the regroup, some of the motivational phrases um, that you might use, it just might be something that focuses, so it might be, come on you can do this, or something like that. Okay, so looking at the uh, benefits of positive self-talk, the first one is it increases confidence as you're speaking positively about your performance. So being positive all the time, continually repeating these phrases in your head or out, or out loud will allow you to ma uh, maintain a level of po po positivity throughout your performance. Um, furthermore, another benefit would be the increased focus concentration that comes from your phrase. So if you're shouting, come on, you can do this, trying to refocus, then you're going to be much more likely to achieve. 
Um, the next benefit is that it helps you forget about negative thoughts and negative parts of your performance. So again, this positive self-talk being continually positive is blocking out those negative thoughts, therefore not letting things like um, anxiety, thinking about emotional factors, um, impact your performance, as well as improving your mental factors. And finally, it allows you to regroup and refocus on the positive aspects, so you're going to discard all the negativity from your mind and focus on the positive aspects of your performance. Moving on to the limitations. So the first one is that it only works if you believe what you're saying to yourself. So if you're repeating these motivational phrases, but really, um, deep down, you don't believe in them. You don't believe these phrases. You don't believe what you're saying. This won't have the effect that you're looking for. A limitation of positive self-talk could be that if you're saying negative things, then it might demotivate you. So subconsciously, you're saying things like, oh, I can't do this, um, and you're not using the phrase correctly then you may be demotivated, which is going to have a negative impact on your performance. Um, the next point is that attempting to use positive self-talk when you're in a game can be difficult, especially if you're already in a, a heightened state. And again, that links back to what Mr Campbell just said. If you're in that heightened state, saying these positive things, it might overhype you, it might you then overtake your performance, your level of arousal will be too high. Or you may begin to say negative things because you're in that phrase of talking to yourself over and over but your heightened state doesn't allow you to regulate what you're saying. The final limitation of positive self-talk could be that you might you have to be able to use it at the right time. So when you feel you're becoming a bit too negative, you need to start using it before you lose control. If you try to lose it once, use it once you've lost control, then it's going to be very difficult to get back to a positive mental state. Right, I think it's time we moved on to the social approaches and um, the first social approach that we're going to look at is actually a social approach which contains three approaches within it and that's team building activities. So within team building activities you have um, the tangled knot, you have catch the name and you have minefield. Now Mr Campbell is going to start us off with a describe answer for team building activities. So team building activities, as Mr Oates said, we could choose a variety of different things, but we're going to focus on Tangled Knot. So in order to improve our social factor, we undertook the team building activity of the Tangled Knot. For this activity, we got into groups of between five and eight. We stood in a circle and we joined hands in the games hall. No equipment was required. You were not allowed to join, join hands with either of the people you were standing beside. We then had to work as a team to untangle the knot our arms had made so we were back into a circle. Whilst untangling the knot, nobody was allowed to drop hands and therefore we had to step over and under one another to get out of our position. Each person in the group had to communicate verbally with the whole group in order for us to focus, uh, to figure out how to untangle the knot. Okay, so looking at the benefits for team building activities, the first benefit is that the activities are fun. So this means that you want to do them because you have a good time doing them. Therefore, having a high level of motivation to complete these, um, this uh, social approach will mean that you have a greater uh, amount of development um, in your social performance. Within team building activities, there are lots of different activities to choose from. So we could choose Tangled Knot, Catch the Name, Minefield. This means that we can stay motivated. We're going to be doing different things. It's going to keep training interesting. The next one is it is easy and quick to set up. So all three of those approaches, which Mr Campbell just mentioned, don't take a lot of time to set up. And that means that you don't have to take time out of your training um, for the other factors. And therefore, that will improve your um, performance development. That means you can spend more time doing these games as well. There are also no specialised equipment needed for um, Tangled Knot or Catch the Name. 
for minefield you could use something like cones so it's it's nothing crazy or easy to pick up and set up okay moving on to the limitations so the first one is that people may not take it seriously and many of you will experience this when we did two team building uh, activities if people in your game if you, people in your team are being a little bit silly um, and they're not taking it seriously this can lead to fallout within teammates and that's doing the exact opposite you want to do you want to bond the team together using these social approaches but if people are um, not taking it seriously this can cause fallouts and therefore have the opposite effect so all performers <coughs> must be committed um, within the team building activity if they aren't committed and they're not trying their best they're not communicating verbally they're social loafing then it's not going to have the desired effect so the next um, limitation is that one person must not dominate the activities so, obviously, we've all got to take our turn to be leaders and followers within things like Tangle Knot um, and Minefield. But if one person is dominant throughout, again, this can lead to a negative impact upon the team as people um, begin to get annoyed with one another. The final limitation for team building activities is that there may, there's no direct link to the activity you're doing, so the participants may view it as a waste of time. For example, in volleyball, there's no actual link or Tangled Knot catching them or Minefield to volleyball, so they may not see the benefits as there are no physical, mental or emotional benefits that would actually help them in a game. Um, however, the social benefits for the team building activities um, are there to be seen once you actually start playing a game of volleyball. <coughs> okay, so we're going to move on to our second social approach now, which is defining roles. Now, for, for defining roles, rather than coming back to a big long answer with I, because we are aware that this podcast is going on for quite a long time and this is supposed to be a quick study guide for you i'll just do a quick description for defining roles um but i would say that if you your your go-to answer for a described question for the social would be team building activities so for defining roles um this is what i did with my class mr camel for for badminton um, obviously it's a social approach this has to be a team building I took a team of two a doubles team they sat down in front of the board and they listened to me go, going over um, three phases of play and the positions and responsibilities that they and roles obviously that they had during those three phases of play so during the attacking play I spoke about the moving to a front and back and the responsibilities of the front player and the responsibilities of the back player we then spoke about um, in the defence. In defence, they should be side by side, slightly further back in case they had to cope um, with a smash. And then I also spoke about when they should make the transition, when they should make the transition from side and standing beside each other to one at the front, one at the back. When they sense that opportunity, when the opponent is struggling to make a return, that's when they should pounce. That's when they should move into um, an attack stance. So the benefits. Would you like to start us off? with the um, first benefit of defining roles. Yep, so the first benefit of defining roles is that it gives each individual clear expectations and it means that everyone relies on one another and you're more likely to perform to a higher standard. Okay, the second benefit is that the, the motivation has been increased by a desire to achieve a set goal. So when we're going through and we're talking about um, what everyone's responsibility is, we're talking about obviously the goal of winning the match, this bonds the group together. It also increases your trust in your teammates if they know their role and what they should be doing then they're more likely to achieve it and fulfil their role. Um, and the final benefit is it increases self-worth. So if you think about defining roles for volleyball, for example, if you understand that all six players um, have a great importance and they all have a responsibility when in each position, this will in increase your self-worth and it will ensure that you take on this responsibility, you take on this role and play to, to your best standard possible.
Now, the limitations for defining roles, um, players could feel under pressure. So if they're in a team and people on the team are maybe more, more dominant or they're not got the same skill level, then they may feel under pressure to try and perform and fulfil their role and they don't feel that they are capable of doing that. People may only focus on their goals and not the goals of the team. So again, going back to that volleyball example, if you only solely focus on what you have to do um, and fulfil your role, that's great, but that's not that's not helping the team as a whole. If the person beside you is struggling and you don't step in, you don't help them, you don't cover the area of the court, when, when, they are, when they are missing, maybe they've died for a shot and then they've left the area of their court blank and you're not willing to cover it because you're solely focused on your job, that's not bonding together as a team, that's not using effective team dynamics. Another limitation is that if the rules are not made clear, then it can cause confusion. Um, so if two people are taking up the same position at once, or they're both going for the same same shot, they're maybe not blocking when they should be, it can c- cause confusion, um, and then the patterns of play that you've set up may not unfold the way you wanted them to. Um, the final one is something that a limit. The final limitation is something that I see in my class quite regularly, and that's that if players perform poorly, then this can cause arguments, and you see that all the time when um, pupils are when athletes understand the sport really well, understand whose fault it was for a mistake. This happens in volleyball a lot. The ball hits the ground, and everybody knows whose fault it is. This can cause arguments because people say to each other, and this can build up resentment in the, in the team. This can have a negative impact upon the bond of the team and the overall social performance of each individual and of the overall team. So that's us come to an end. In this podcast, we've talked about all the different approaches, um, physical, emotional, mental, and social. And in the last podcast, we talked about all the methods of data collection. So we'll just go over really quickly what the approaches for each of our four factors are now. So Mr. Campbell, what are the two physical? We have the skills development program or the conditioning program and plyometric training. What are the two emotional? Two emotional, the positive outlook approach, and the five breath technique. The two mental. Visualisation, positive self-talk. And finally, the two social. Team building activities and defining roles. That's all from us, guys. If you get any questions, feel free to come and see us. Thank you. Thank you.